You're listening to the River City Church Podcast. Our desire is that you know Jesus, experience freedom, find community, and discover purpose. For more information, check us out on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co. We are in our final part of our series, Cover to Cover. We've actually been doing a series on the Bible, discovering the power of the Word of God in our lives. And, uh, and we've gone through some real practical stuff, uh, uh, how to study your Bible, how to grow in the Word of God. Uh, we looked at the very first week, the importance of the condition of our heart, because the Word of God was given to us, not just to inform our mind, but more importantly, to transform our hearts. And so God wants to get his word from the pages, not just into here, but actually more importantly into here, where it makes a lasting and eternal difference that actually begins to affect not only our lives, but every life around us. So we started with the issue of preparing our hearts. We looked at the importance of studying the word of God. Uh, The third week, last week, we looked at the importance of, of not only studying the word, but here's what we need to do. We need to apply the word of God. The word of God becomes activated or actually impacts our life, changes our life when it's not just something we read and study, but it's actually something we apply. It's something we begin to do. And when we, when we take the word of God and put it into practice, everything begins to change. Uh, and this week, the final week, we're actually going to go to Ezra 710, if we could put that on the screen. I've given you this a couple times through this series. Ezra 710 describes this man, the, the book's named after him. Ezra, Ezra is a uh, leader in Israel. He was a scribe. He was somebody who would write down and actually helped, among many others, to faithfully transmit the word of God all the way to our generation. And, and that was his job. But not only was he to transmit or or copy down the original uh, Hebrew into the the next generation of manuscripts, but it was also important that he led people in an encounter with the living God. Because God is not just after knowing the book, he's actually, more importantly, getting you and I to know the author, to know him, to experience him, to walk with him. And so Ezra 7.10 says something that he did, and we've looked at these throughout the series. First, he prepared his heart. Next, he sought, that's to study, to dig deeper, to, to go further than just a surface level Uh, reading of the Bible, but to seek after the law or the Torah of the Lord. The last week we talked about, just do it. Come on, Nike had it right. Just do it. Uh, It's a bad joke, I know. Um, And to teach statutes and ordinances Israel. Now, Now, if you think that's just about like governmental laws, you'd have to understand that Israel was actually governed first and foremost by God's leadership, God's laws. And so he was concerned with teaching them the principles of the word of God. And I actually think this gives us an order that makes sense because sometimes we want to share before we do. We want to tell others before we actually apply it to our own lives. And, and we, need to, we need to apply it, we need to study it, and then when we've begun to experience the benefit of the word of God, then we are called to share it. In fact, I believe all of us, not just pastors and missionaries and Sunday school teachers, but all of us have a calling to share God's word with others, with the next generation, and with those who've never heard. I, I can just tell you, we take for granted, especially in our nation, the fact that we have access to a Bible in our language. That, that somebody, there was, there was a man, William Tyndale, who gave his life to help translate the Bible into the English language. And, and in fact, right before he was, was killed for, uh, he, was, he was, sorry to be graphic, he was strangled and burned at the stake just so you and I could have an English Bible. 
Just so we could have a Bible, not just in a language that a priest understood or the church understood, but the language that all of us can read for ourselves, know and discover. And why that matters is as he was, before he died, he actually prayed a prayer. He said, God, open the King of England's eyes. And just decades later, we had the King James Bible. And, and somebody prayed and somebody sacrificed. In fact, right now on planet Earth, let me just give you a few stats. One in five people that include over 6,655 languages do not have a Bible in their first language, their primary language. There are currently, right now on planet Earth, 2,468 languages that have no scripture at all, not even a verse. And there's no work currently in progress at the moment to be able to translate. And of those, which includes nearly 100 million people, over 1,000 of those languages are considered, 1,300 languages to be exact, are considered vital for them to be reached with the good news of Jesus. So, so that's the mission side of this. And we're called as the church, capital C Church, to see that every person has an opportunity. In fact, that was our word for this year as we ended last year and entered in this new year is that we wanna see everyone, first in North Iowa, but then as a part of the global church to see the nations of the world impacted with the good news of Jesus until all have heard. But let's make it personal first. Because I believe that it starts with our own lives and it starts with our own families. Those of you who have kids, it starts with the next generation pouring into them. In fact, I want to tell you this. I've got three simple points for you. We're going to start with number one is this. Make the most of every opportunity. How do we share the word of God with others? Now, most of us, when we think of sharing the word of God, we think of a message or a sermon. We think of a Bible study and all of that is good. It's necessary. We do that in our church, obviously. But it's also important that we make the most of opportunities because do you know that most of what Jesus did in sharing his word and healing the sick and, and all the things that Jesus went along and did as he impacted the world, do you know most of it happened in between? For them, it was the Sabbath was Saturday and they would meet in the synagogue and someone would unroll a scroll from the Bible, the Torah, the Old Testament, and they would read from God's word and they would, they would study it, they would teach it, and they would do all of that in the context, just like we're doing now, like we do for church. But as I told you a couple weeks ago, one meal is not enough. Just like your physical body needs more than one meal in a day or in a week and definitely in a month to sustain it and give you strength and energy, your spiritual life is no different. If we only had one meal a week, our spiritual life becomes depleted, becomes empty even, and doesn't have the strength to accomplish what God has created us to, to do and to accomplish. That's why God said to Israel in the beginning, in Deuteronomy 6, uh, he said to them as they prepared from Moses and Joshua's generations to prepare to transmit the word of God to the next. Uh, here's the, the command he gave him. He said, now this is the commandment. These are the statutes and judgments where the Lord your God has commanded to teach you. So, so this was, God gave him the 10 commandments. He gave him the law, the Mosaic law. And he says, I, I've given you this that you may observe in them in the land which you are crossing over to possess. In other words, I've given you my word to follow as you inherit the promises of God, that you may fear the Lord, not be afraid of God, but reverence, honor, worship, to keep all the statutes, his commandment, which I command you, your son and your grandson, all the days of your life. In other words, it's a generational thing, that your days may be prolonged. Therefore, hear, O Israel, be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord your God, the God of your fathers, has promised you to have a land flowing with milk and honey. That's, that's the promised land. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
You love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. And these words I command you today shall be in your heart. So he gives them that instruction first. But then he goes on in verse 7. And he tells them they actually have a responsibility, not just to hear, study, and apply the word for themselves, but they're called to share with the next generation. And I'm going to tell you what happened when they didn't. Because here's what he says, you shall teach them diligently to your children. And talk of them, here's the making the most of every opportunity, not just in church, and not just at the temple, and not just in the tabernacle, and all the things that, that Israel would, would, would be gathering around to hear the word. But he says, also when you sit down in your house, and when you walk by the way, when you're on a journey... In other words, when you're at the pickup and drop-off line for school. When you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. In fact, he says, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. You shall put them as frontlets between your eyes. In other words, keep this thing with you all the time. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you the large and beautiful cities which you did not build and houses full of all good things which you didn't fill and hewn out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. Like that's blessing right there. And so many of us have experienced stuff we didn't deserve. I know I have. He says, but while you've experienced that, beware, verse 12, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. How could they forget? How could a generation that saw the Red Sea parted and saw the miracles in Egypt and, and saw the manna from heaven in, in, the, in the desert, how could that generation forget? Well, actually, it wouldn't be necessarily about that generation forgetting. God said, here's what I want you to do. Don't forget for yourself, but also don't forget to transmit this word to the next generation lest they forget. And here's the sad story. They didn't do it. They didn't do it. Here's how I know they didn't do it. Because Judges chapter 2, verse 10, says there arose a generation after all that generation had been gathered to their fathers. In other words, at that whole generation passed away. Another generation came up after them that did not know the Lord or the work which he had done for Israel. I know that's sobering for men, but just think about this. An entire generation. And you know who was to blame? It was not Joshua, the governmental leader. It was not the broader culture because culture is a reflection of people. The responsibility to teach and pour into the next generation was theirs. And the reason why an entire generation came up that did not know the Lord is I think possibly somebody thought somebody else will do it. Or maybe there were other priorities, other things that were important in the moment but didn't matter in eternity because I know there came a generation that forgot the Lord who did all those miracles, who saw the undeniable hand of God. But maybe something else was urgent instead of important. And it preoccupied their family and their household and their attention. And, and, and I don't know what it was. But the next generation needed somebody to share with them. And can I just tell you, it's no different today. We can blame everybody else for why the next generation is decreasingly knowing and having access to the word of God. I actually think we have more opportunity in our lifetime to see the next generation be impacted and take the world for Jesus. I believe our kids, grandkids generation can be and may be just the generation that wins the world to Jesus, that takes the gospel to the last people, tribe, and tongue. Just think about that. 
What if the next generation is the one to carry it? Who's going to show them? Who's going to tell them? It's going to take us making the most of every opportunity. We've been using this 90-day study as a family ourselves. We're, we're going through the New Testament in 90 days as a church. We've got, uh, we, we gave you enough today, so we didn't hand those out today. Uh, but we're having resources like that because that's been, that's been amazing for our family. And I know sometimes it's not convenient to, to sit down and read through it, but, but it actually has created opportunities for us to discuss the Word of God. There's a lot of things that we have going on in our family. We're busy just like you're busy. But you know what? There's a lot of things my kids can learn and grow in that are good and needed but may not matter for eternity. There's lots of activities we all participate in. There's lots of shows we can watch and things we can stream and, and activities we can participate in and, 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 and sports we can play and businesses we can build and all those things. All that's great. We need to do all of that. But let's not in the busyness miss the most important thing. In sharing the truth of the word of God. I've shared this before, but you know what? There is a less than one hundredth of a chance that your child will be a professional athlete. I'm so sorry. I've worked with professional athletes. In fact, I worked with professional athletes as a chaplain that many of them did not have the long-lasting career that they were hoping for and expecting. But even that, you know what? There is a hundred percent chance that your child will one day stand before God. There is a 100% chance that all of us need to know and hear the word of God. And I say that because sometimes as we start a new year, it's important to realign our priorities and recognize where our kids need us the most. And I'm speaking to those that have kids right now, but it's true for all of us that we need to be a people that make sure that we not only receive, but we share the word of God. Number two is we need to be equipped. Here's why. Number two, you can't give what you don't have. You can't give what you don't have. Jesus said it this way. I don't have this for the screen, but Jesus said it this way. Freely you've received, freely give. We receive freely from God, freely from Jesus, freely from what he's provided for us. But it also is an opportunity and a responsibility that we have to share what we've been given. If he's made a difference in your life, and I believe he has for most of us, if not all of us, and then we have a responsibility and a calling. In fact, everyone in here has a calling, if you didn't know that. Everyone has a calling. God's chosen you. He's handpicked you. Before you even drew your first breath, God already had a plan for you. I don't care what the world told you. I don't care what people around you told you to discourage you and tear you back down and, and, and keep you back from your God-given purpose. I'm telling you, you have a calling from God. Your identity comes from God, from heaven. Who you are and what he's given you is found in the word of God and through the leading of the Holy Spirit. And so all of that is true, but we can't give what we don't first have. In our culture, there's a tendency today to prioritize the public over the private and personal. To prioritize what's Instagram worthy and a platform even instead of the process of growth as a follower of Jesus. Sometimes I believe we substitute what seems big for what's actually great. We think it doesn't matter that we're being faithful in our family, changing diapers and loving our spouse and showing up to work faithfully when you're underappreciated and you got overlooked for a promotion. By the way, it's God that promotes, not people. You're working hard for Jesus. God sees all of that. God also sees when we cut corners. Okay, that's a whole other sermon. That's why you work for God first. 
You'll be a better employee. You'll be a better boss if you know you serve and love God first and then serve and love people. But here's the problem. We seek a platform before the process and we think sharing God's word looks like I have to have 10,000 people on Instagram following me or YouTube channel, whatever. And I, I, I'm just telling you right now, you can have those opportunities to reach people. We reach people in our jobs. with our. I, we, there's lots of ways we can do this. That's your platform. But the process is what changes you where you're equipped with God's word to be changed, to be impacted forever. And here's what I found. I can't lead others where I won't go myself. I can tell my kids, do as I say, not as I do. Anybody ever get told that? No. <laughs> but maybe you weren't told that. Maybe that's what you saw. And maybe it's not so much the next generation's rejecting Jesus. Maybe it's the rejecting a portrayal of Jesus that wasn't lived out. And so that doesn't mean we're perfect. In fact, what I've learned is that my kids don't need perfection from me. People don't need perfection. But when I mess up, because we all do, we can repent and we can be real and say, you know what, I'm failed. I, I messed up. Would you forgive me? Listen, it takes a changed heart to be able to do that. It takes a life that's been transformed to be able to do that. And, and maybe what people around us need isn't our perfection, but it's us continually, as best as we can, pointing to Jesus. As we've gone after him, we can lead others to him. When we found grace, we can point others to grace. When we found forgiveness, we can point others to forgiveness. When we found freedom, we could point others to freedom. That's why 1 Timothy 4, Paul wrote to his spiritual son, who was a great leader, young leader in the church of Ephesus. But here's what he said. In fact, Timothy's believed to have pastored and led, there were 40,000 Christians in the city of Ephesus, meeting in homes, meeting everywhere they could. And Paul comes to Timothy and doesn't say, man, you are doing so great because of your great platform to 40,000 people. He says, here's what I want you to do, Timothy. Meditate in the word of God. Meditate in these things. Study it. Get it in your life. Give yourself entirely to the word of God, to the principles of the word, that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the teaching or the doctrine. Now he's not just saying, hey, whatever your church has is a doctrinal statement, that's what you should take heed to. No, he's saying this word is something you need to pay attention to yourself, your own heart, but also that you're paying attention to the word of God. Is it getting in your life? And, and he says that to him because here's the result. In doing this, you'll save yourself and others too. In other words, your life will make an impact in the lives of other people, but first and foremost, you've got to allow it to fill you. I can't be the dad and the husband and, 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 and even the Christian I need to be unless I first spend time with Jesus and get in his word. I don't care how saintly we think we are. I can't do it without him every day. <laughs> Maybe you can go several days without getting in the word and still love people. I can't. I, I just can't. Like, I've got to have a heart check. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I've got to have a heart check. I've got to allow the word of God to impact me. And what's going to come from my life, what's going to come from our lives, is going to be something that's life-giving, that brings and points to Jesus. Um, there's a great pastor. His name is Leonard Ravenhill. And, uh, man, he's a, he's a fireball. Um, anytime I need a... a, a <laughs> Get a, get a nice correction. I listened to one of his old recordings. Um, 
But, but it, it was funny, years ago, he had a day, he was just super busy, and he didn't have time to study before he was giving a message on a Sunday at his church, and, and so he, he warmed up a devotional, like he just found something and said, okay, I'll just share this, and, and, he, and he showed up to church, and a lady walked in that was one of those church ladies, you know, that's been with God and, and is dead serious, and, and she, she walks in, she comes straight up to, to, to him, and she says, I've been with God this morning, I've been praying, and he says, awesome. So God spoke to me something, and it's a question for you. He goes, okay, what, what, what's your question? He said, are, are we going to hear today from God, or are we going to hear from you? And he thought to himself, well, I had about five minutes, I warmed up a devotional that I was going to share. And he, real, he stopped, and he said, you know what? You're probably going to hear from me. She says, okay, I'll come back next Sunday. You know what I love about that is we need to get in the word when you spend time with Jesus, when you get his word in us, in our lives, and spend time with him. Because you know what our families need more than anything else is that they don't just hear from us, they hear from God. That the people we interact with on a daily basis don't just hear from us, but they hear from God through his word, that, that his life begins to be carried out in our lives. There's this uh, Old Testament story, 1 Samuel 13. It, it illustrates what I think is often a deficit when the capital C church, when all us as the church just have missionaries, pastors, and Sunday school teachers equipped with the word of God. Here's a story, First uh, Samuel 13, 19. There was no blacksmith to be found in all the land of Israel for the Philistines who are iron workers at that time. Uh, in fact, they're the only iron workers in that region. Uh, they, they said, lest the Hebrews make swords or spears. But all the Israelites would then go down to the Philistines to sharpen each man's plowshare, his mattock, his axe, and his sickle. So all their farming instruments, all their tools, they had to go to the enemy camp, the Philistines, to be able to get what they needed. <laughs> That's a problem when you go to war with them. And the charge for sharpening was a pin for plowshares, mattocks. Okay, uh, verse, verse 22. So it came about on the day of battle, listen to the statement, that was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people who were with Saul and Jonathan. Saul's the king, Jonathan's the prince's son, the heir apparent at this point. But the, the only ones in the army that have a sword and a spear are the two leaders. But they have a battle. All of them are called to fight, because guess what? Saul and Jonathan, as great as they may be, cannot take on the Philistine army. Clearly, three chapters later, they hide for 40 days when Goliath shows up. But the point of this story is that, first off, the people of God got what they needed for their life from the enemy camp. How many things are we trying to figure out from the, we're letting the culture dictate how we build our marriage? In fact, next, next month, I've got a series called Relationship Goals. We're going to talk about marriage. We're going to talk about a whole lot of stuff because we all deal with people. And we all have different areas of relationship that, I, that, that God's word speaks to to help us grow, be equipped, and be life-giving, and also know how to love people and set boundaries. Come on, somebody. We're going to talk about some really good things, but here's what I want you to catch. They went to the enemy camp to find out and to be equipped for life, for their, for their farming, for their tools, for their, even for their weaponry. In other words, they went to the wrong source for what they needed, and on the day of battle, their lack of preparation showed up. The only ones that had it 
It is not enough for pastors to know the Bible. It's not enough for just two or three people in the church to know the word of God. Now, am I saying every person in here has to have a systematic theology degree? Absolutely not. I don't, by the way. (laughs) But I love the word of God. And I found that it's changed my life and it can change your life too. But here's what I want you to catch. When we begin to know the author and we walk with God, God encourages us, he challenges us, and then he equips us. In fact, the Bible is a living and powerful sword. We saw that last several weeks. Ephesians 6 calls it the sword of the spirit. So God's word is like a weapon against the lies and, and strongholds of the enemy. And yet, if we don't know, if we, if we show up to the battle and all we're equipped with is the lies of the enemy, we can't defeat a lie with a lie. You can't defeat a lie with a half-truth either. You can only defeat a lie with the truth. And many times we accept lies about our identity, about our purpose, about our future, about our family, about our our, our calling, and we're getting the information from the wrong source. And here's what happened on the day of battle. Only Jonathan and Saul had a sword. Do you know what God's wanting? God wants to equip every single one of us with the truth of his word to face the battle, to face the lies, and to destroy the works of darkness that are going against our families and against our future. We need it. We need the word of God. We need the truth of the word. That's, that's what happens. Number three, we need to check our circle. So we can't give what we don't have. We can't give away what we don't first have. But then we need to check our circle, recognize our circle. I mean, here's what I mean by a circle. All of us have a circle of influence. We all have influence in the lives of somebody else. And, and, and many times we don't recognize we have influence in somebody else's life. Sometimes we don't realize that for some people that we interact with on a daily basis, our whisper is actually a shout. We say something to them and we're just joking, but we don't know that it tore them down on the inside. I didn't mean anything by it. One of the most humbling things I had was a, a friend of mine that I worked with came up to me one day and just in tears and said, The things you've been joking and saying, I take personal, and it hurts. Man, I had to eat crow that day. I had to realize that my words, because I I thought sarcasm was a spiritual gift. (laughs) Do you know sarcasm, the, the old English word for sarcasm is like to tear apart like a wolf. So, so sometimes we don't realize the impact and the effect that we have in somebody else's life and our whisper is actually a shout. And, and just one word of encouragement may be enough to get that person to charge the gates of hell. And you thought, well, they know I love them. They know they mean a lot to me. Have you told them lately? Have you encouraged them? Have you spoken? And, and we have people in our life that we don't realize the impact and the influence we have. I believe every single person in here has influence in somebody else's life, known or unknown. People are watching our walk. They're seeing our impact. They're they're impacted and encouraged by our life many times. I mean, I'm sure maybe there's somebody that the only, like you just got, it's you you and your cat. You can influence that cat. Come on, somebody. That should be the most encouraged cat. (laughs) No, I'm joking. Uh, Every one of us has an impact in somebody else's life. And I know what some of us are thinking. Well, I, 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 it's just me. I'm an introvert. I'm, I'm alone. I, I don't know. Listen, we, are, we have opportunities like our groups. 
The Bible says, if anyone wants to have friends, show himself friendly. You don't even have to smile yet. Just, just sign up for a group. Let somebody get to know your name. Don't just float in and float out. People want to know you. They want to pray for you. They want to connect with you. They want to grow with you. We all need that. I need that. We have a circle for a reason. And we need to know, here's the challenge, we need to know how we're influencing. The issue is not if we influence others, it's how we influence them. It's not if we're influencing our kids, it's how we're influencing them. It's not if we're influencing the world, it's how we're influencing the world. How we influence the people we interact with on a daily basis, our coworkers, our friends. I, I, I got... Another obscure Old Testament reference I want to take you to. This is Second uh, Kings 4. I say it's obscure because I just like, I like random stories in the Bible that you have to dig a little bit deeper. But I, I like this one because this is about lunch. Any, anybody like lunch? Okay. Um, by the way, we'll have pizza second service. So if you're hungry, come on back and get some pizza. Uh, but but here's, what it, here's what it says. Elisha returned to Gilgal and there was a famine in the land. Now the sons of the prophets, these are Bible school students essentially, uh, sons of the prophets were sitting before him and he said to his servant, put on the large pot and boil stew for the sons of the prophets. Uh, they're on a ramen budget. So when one went out into the field to gather herbs and found a wild vine, so we were just getting that, uh, and, and found a wild vine and gathered from it a lap full of wild gourds, None of that sounds good. Like, where's the barbecue? Uh, and came and sliced them into the pot of stew, though they did not know what they were. What happened? One went out. One person from that group, sons of the prophets, one of them, says, I'll go get something. And he just finds the first thing he can encounter. And, and he doesn't care what it is. You ever been so hungry, you don't care what you eat. How long those leftovers have been in the fridge? You're just hungry. You got to eat. And, and, and you're just, see, here's what happens when we don't fill our lives with the word of God. We become spiritually famished in our soul. And we are so hungry that we will fill it with the first thing we can find. And we don't know where it came from. We fill our lives, we fill our hearts with just another relationship, with just another show, with just another thing. And we fill it thinking that that will satisfy, but it's like eating spiritual junk food. And here's what happens. Our soul has to discern. Our lives need to discern what goes into it. I already told you a couple weeks ago that what you eat matters. If you just eat junk food, your physical body will crash at some point. You'll have physical disease. It's no different with your soul. Do you know that God put a nose above your mouth for a reason? Other than it would look weird otherwise, but that's all we know. The reason you have a nose above your mouth is so you can smell what you put in. Are you with me? I made the mistake one time of finding cheese at the back of my fridge that was buried, and I just wanted me some cheese. And so I was ready to, and, and then I took a whiff of it, thank you, Jesus, right before I took a bite. Because on the top, it looked good, but on the bottom, something else was growing at that moment. And, and it was good that I, it probably would have been like penicillin, I don't know, but, but, but <laughs> here's the point. We need to discern carefully what we put into our hearts, what we fill our life with. Just like some of us are more physically discerning than we are spiritually discerning. But because we're hungry in our soul, we're looking for something to fill. 
something to satisfy. And here's the problem. One guy goes out and he tries to figure it out on his own. He doesn't bring along anybody else to say, hey, what do you think? He just gathers up whatever he finds. And here's the other thing. Watch what it says, verse 40. Then they served it to the men to eat. In other words, they're about to eat something. They don't know where it came from. They're about to be influenced by something that they don't know the source of. Are you with me? That man was responsible for what he presented, what he gave. And he didn't discern. In fact, he probably didn't even care. He's just looking for something. And now others are going to eat something that they haven't had the opportunity to inspect. Now what happened as they were eating the stew that they cried out and said, man of God, Elisha, there's death in the pot. I don't know why I like that verse so much. There's death in the pot. Like if, I've eaten some bad stuff over the years. I've had some McDonald's burgers that didn't look like the commercial. <laughs> Elisha, there's death in the pot. And they could not eat it. So he said, bring some flour. He put it in the pot. Serve, and he said, serve it to the people that they may eat. And there was nothing harmful now in the pot. So th this is like a... Of all the miracles of Elijah, this is the most subtle. <laughs> How something poisonous and toxic could be transformed so that they could actually benefit from it. But here's what I want you to see. The word of God changes us on the inside. The word of God is also how we discern what we ingest, what we receive. How will I know what is life-giving and is going to lead me to life unless I first have the word. And here's, here's, here's the secondary piece of this, and this is what I'm sharing with you today, is all of our lives will make a difference and influence others. The question is, what does that influence look like? Are we taking care that what we're sharing with others in our lives, and that's not just with our words, that's with our actions, that's with everything, is what we're sharing coming from a place of life or a place of death? Is it from a place of freedom or a place of captivity? Are we more concerned that our kids are following the will of God or our will for their life? Are we more concerned that our spouse is, is, is walking with God than, than doing everything the way we want? Are we, are we, are we careful with what we're serving? Because I think it's important that we recognize what we're eating, what we're putting into our heart, what we're putting into our life. Now, let me just say a quick word about discernment because some people think they're a walking rebuke in the church. And they think discernment is fear. Do you know what the New Testament tells us about discernment? Discernment is this, Philippians 1.9. This I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and in all discernment. Some people are like, man, pastor, I'm your guy. I'm, I'm the person that's going to help you discern who, who's a wolf in sheep's clothing. And they're like, they're, in, they're watching everybody. We, we, don't, we don't let those people have a job. <laughs> are, are, are you with me? Because we want every person to feel loved. Every person to feel welcome. Doesn't mean, you know, we, we don't take serious our responsibility to deal with things that need to be dealt with. Absolutely, 100%. But here's the thing. It should always be from love. Do you know Jesus 
was life-giving to those that were hurting, broken, and bound in sin. The prostitutes, the tactical lectures, the sinners. Then the Pharisees come along who've got such a giant plank of judgment in their eye that they're critical of every single thing and every single person. And you know what the problem is? Their discernment is rooted in suspicion. And Jesus, even though he would correct the Pharisees, he would also die for the Pharisees. Do you know what it looks like to love somebody? We all need people in our life that we allow close enough that we allow to love us enough to tell us the truth. We need people in our life. I have people in my life that will tell me the truth even when I don't want to hear it. And that's needed. That's necessary. Here's what verse 10, that you may approve the things that are excellent and that you may be sincere and without offense. Don't be offended. Love people. I know somebody hurt you and disappointed you. Keep loving people. What if they hurt me too? Well, God's grace is big enough to heal your heart because he's done it to me. I don't have to look at the next person and think, oh, what are they going to do? When are they going to walk out? When are they going to say something that hurts me? No, no, because we've allowed the healer to heal our hearts. All of us have people leave us, talk about us, disappoint, all that. But discernment is to recognize when, we, when in love we're willing to tell the truth to somebody and we're willing to help them get there. Not just throw arrows of, of accusation and criticism, but we're actually aware enough of our own willingness. Here's the thing. I can't help anybody until I recognize how much I need help from God. Self-awareness is a tremendous gift. Self-awareness is one of those recognitions you go, I know my own failings, I know my shortcomings, and I know where I need God's help. And it's, by the way, in every category, all of the above. I need God's help every single day. We all need God's help every day. So that's important. Romans 2.1, we're almost done. You therefore having, have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For <laughs> I like this. For at whatever point you judge another, you're condemning yourself because you pass judgment, you actually do the same things. <laughs> okay I could preach that but that's, that speaks for itself but we need to start with those in our influence and in our responsibility teach with our words but also live it out with our actions I love what Jesus it tells of as he healed the sick cast the demons raised the dead all that Mark 1 they were astonished at his teaching for he taught them as one having authority not as the scribe do you know there's three kinds of authority there's expert authority, that's your competency. That's where you've, you've got enough experience to be, to be able to speak authoritatively on something. Like, like, I was an expert in marriage before I was married. Anybody else like that? Like you knew, you knew what everybody else should be doing until you were married. Here's, here's an easier one. You knew how kids should be raised until you had some. You walk past somebody who's like trying to wrangle their kids at Walmart and you're like, I wouldn't do that. My kids would listen way better than those kids. And then you've got some and you're drowning. <laughs> We're experts in things we don't experience many times until we do. And then we realize what we need. And so that's why one form of authority is an experiential authority. It's expert authority. There's also spiritual authority. As a Christian, you have spiritual authority in Christ. The name of Jesus is not how you know the prayer's over. You have authority over fear. You have authority over shame. You have authority over every lie and accusation from hell. The word of God disarms the enemy. There's also, and this is the last one, moral authority. 
Moral authority is when what's behind the scenes lines up with what we're saying publicly. Not that we're perfect. Jason, if you want, team want to get ready. But if I want others to do something different, then I need to start with me. Otherwise, I'm just another critic. If I want my kids to pray, have I modeled prayer? If I want my kids to get in the word, have I shown them what it's like to be in the word? Let me, let me make it practical too. If I want my kids to know how to treat people, how do I treat people? All of those things, it's, it's quiet in here right now, Mark. Um, because it all starts there and the authority of Jesus was all three of those things. Because Jesus was, unlike the Pharisees, the same behind closed doors as he was in public. Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. So there's no lie. Do you know what? That lie that's held you and I captive has no right and no authority to keep us captive any longer. If Jesus has all authority, that means the devil has none. The lie has none. All authority. The question is, do we accept his authority in our lives? Have we allowed him to be Lord? There's, this, I won't read it for time, but in Acts 4, Peter and John, who've preached the gospel, who've prayed for the sick and they've been healed and all these amazing things happen. The religious crowd pulls them aside and starts saying, you can't do this. You can't teach in this name, Jesus, anymore. They threaten them. In fact, they don't just threaten them, they beat them. Physically beaten for preaching Jesus. And they say, well, that'll teach you. Don't say another word in that name. Do you know what Peter says to them that I think is one of my favorite verses in all the book of Acts? He says, you got to decide for yourselves. This is Peter speaking to them. Whether you think it's right for us to listen to you or listen to God. We're going to obey God. I don't know about you. I'm thankful that Peter kept sharing the word of God. The John who was with him kept sharing the word of God. We are the fruit today, 2,000 years later, of millions of men and women who said, I know what the world says and I know what people have said and I know that it may mean rejection from those closest to me, but as for me and my house, we're gonna serve God. I've decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. And because somebody shared the good news of Jesus from generation to generation, you and I can be here and receive the benefit of their sacrifice. Let's be a people that don't let it die with us. But let's share the word of God. You know, do Bible study, do Bible study. You want to sit down with your family and get into it. You should make the most of those opportunities. But there's also times where you're just sitting in the car and you're stuck in traffic. Even sometimes Mason City can have traffic. I'm so glad it's not as bad as Vegas was. But, but I, can, I can take the most of every opportunity to share, to point back to. Jenna talked about that when, uh, at the uh, gather, the women's event. Our daughter came with a question and my wife's response was, well, I know with that was told to you, how did you feel about that? What, what, what was she asking her to do? You've, you've had the word of God. My daughter's nine. She's been, she, she recognizes what's right and wrong because we keep pouring the word into her. 
She's in, she's in church every chance we got. She's hearing the word. She's growing. She's learning. And, 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 and she recognized, because it didn't pass the smell test. And then my wife pointed her as her mom to the word. Now, don't be intimidated because you don't know the chapter and verse to something. Please. That's not what I'm telling you. There's ton, thank God for Google most of the time. You can Google. <laughs> you can Google a Bible verse. But, but, if it, but here's what I want you to catch. You and I are called to share the word of God that makes a difference for eternity in the lives of people. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. If our prayer team would come to the front. Throughout this series, I've continually gone back to this, that when I share this message, it's not to say, we should feel condemned because we're not reading enough. In fact, if you, if you come away from any of these messages feeling like that, that's not from God. There's always going to be that voice that says, hey, you don't read enough. You don't pray enough. You don't. That, that's not what we're after. But we are pointing you to something that can equip you for life, that can change your life. If you'll just get into it, if you'll allow the word of God to feed you, grow you, and equip you, don't just let somebody else take the word. You take hold of it. You get in it. We've got those Bible reading plans. We've got lots of resources we can help you with to take that next step. If you need a Bible, we'll get you a Bible. I, you know, we've got Bible apps. We've got all these amazing things that are right within our reach that somebody just a f- few decades ago couldn't even imagine would be possible to give people access to the word of God in their language. But let's not just let it sit there. Let's let it get in us. Because this sword was not meant for a mantelpiece as a decoration. It was meant for battle. And God's called you and I to be equipped and to put the word of God to work. We trust this message encourages you in faith and in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about River City Church, find us on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co.